0: this morning if you have your bibles and you want to join me in philippians chapter 4 on sunday mornings we've been going through the book of philippians together and if you do need a bible while we're turning in ours you can slip your hand up and the guys in the aisles do have uh, some copies of the scripture they'd be happy to get you a copy of god's word to study along with us if you need a bible last sunday morning there in the fourth chapter we went down as far as verse 9 This morning we'll pick up in verse 10, and we're going to go from verse 10 down through verse 13. So Philippians 4, and if you're turned there, would you stand together with me out of reverence for the Word of God as we read our passage of Scripture this morning. Philippians 4, beginning in the 10th verse. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. And Father, we ask for the assistance of your Holy Spirit this morning to just prepare each and every one of us. Lord, you know where we're at and what we need to be able to be prepared to hear what your voice would want to speak into our lives personally this morning. So Lord, we ask, would you prepare us and we pray for the personal and powerful ministry of your Holy Spirit to teach us what you would want to say and speak to us through the word of God this morning. Bless your word and speak to our hearts. We ask believing that you want to and will in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what do you suppose is probably one of the most difficult things in life to achieve? I would propose, as I think through some different options, that probably one of the most difficult things for us as human beings to obtain that Uh, seems to kind of just elude the grasp of so many of us is probably contentment. The word that we find here in our passage, Paul speaking about there in verse 11, to be content. Now, when you look up the word contentment, it is basically defined as follows, a state of satisfaction, gratification, or the condition of fulfillment without further longing. And today our passage in front of us, if you take notes, speaks about literally the secret of contentment. We'll see as we go through it together in verse 10, Paul, I think, addresses sort of the attitude that contentment begins with. And he'll point out, I think, as, as we look at it together, you'll, you'll sense there that Paul's pointing out to us an attitude of appreciation and attitude of of being grateful. And certainly that is where contentment really begins at. In verse 11, he'll talk to us about the ongoing process of, of cultivating contentment and how we literally have to learn how to be content it is a progress Uh, it is a process that we kind of work our way through in our lives and in in verse 12 he'll talk about there uh, how contentment enables us to really be able to then accept any status in life that no matter what the station or situation we find ourselves in it's contentment that enables us to be able to accept that status currently that we find ourselves in And then in verse 13, thankfully, because it is a process and something that we have to learn and discover in our lives, thankfully, like all things, the Lord doesn't leave us to do it on our own because that would be impossible. But verse 13, Paul shows us that someone is there to help us, to enable us and assist us how to be content. As he says there in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who is the one who is strengthening me. Now, as we go into these verses, let me just quickly, if I can, especially for this study, and then next week as we finish the book of Philippians, let me set the backdrop with you of understanding, and hear me, the proper context of what Paul is speaking about in these verses. And that's so important because many times people wanna take a verse in the Bible uh, and and they they cling to it or they torture a text until it confesses to whatever they want it to say. And it's important that we study the Bible in context because you can torture any text long enough and get it to confess to whatever you want it to say if you're good at it. But it's important we study the Bible in context and in context this morning to understand Paul's discussion and what he's speaking about rather than reviewing what we've already studied is often what we do to grasp our context we actually in this situation have to glance forward this time we have to glance forward to the remaining portion of what Paul's talking about in the last section of this letter because in the remaining verses from verse 10 through the remainder of the letter we find Paul pointing out one of the primary motivators of why he wrote this particular letter to the Philippian believers that we've been studying together. And that was basically to send them sort of, if you would, kind of a thank you note for something that they had done to help out and to assist the Apostle Paul. They had sent aid to Paul, it seems, multiple times to help care for some of his life necessities. Remember... The Apostle Paul, by calling, was a church planter. God had given to Paul the Apostle sort of sort of a, a church planting missionary type lifestyle. In essence, Paul was sort of the first European missionary who went around that area preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ and planting churches among the European area. Often, Paul the Apostle would go into an area. He would preach the gospel. He would plant and establish a local fellowship of believers. And then for various amounts of times, he, he would vary in different locations. He would then stick around for a while and he would pastor and teach that fellowship. He would establish it. And then typically he would then turn over that uh, particular fellowship to local leadership. And then God would, as he had did many times with Paul, he would then move Paul on again to a new territory Territory to repeat the process all over again. This was just Paul's particular calling as a pastor teacher. Uh, some pastor teachers, God calls them, they plan a church, they stay there forever. Uh, others, God gives sort of a church planning capacity. Some even more like a missionary type calling like what Paul had where they literally will just go around planning and establishing churches. God's called us all differently. But this was Paul's calling. He would go into an area, preach the gospel, establish a fellowship, teach and minister there for a while and then he would turn the work over and God would start the process all over again in his life and transition him into a new region. Philippi was one of the churches that Paul did plant. And it was a church, it seems, that Paul then developed a very loving, healthy relationship with that as Paul moved on to continue with his missionary work, it appears the church of Philippi and the believers there, when able, sent financial support to Paul to help continue to assist him in his missionary endeavors in church planning. And at this point, we know, we've mentioned it many times, at this point in Paul's ministry, once again, he finds himself imprisoned for preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, important to take note of this. In that culture, a prisoner, when they found themselves incarcerated, the government in that culture felt absolutely no obligation out of their government tax money to take care of and sustain the life or the needs of a prisoner. It was very different than our modern culture and generation. In that culture, in the ancient day, they felt no compelling need or desire or obligation out of their tax dollars to invest in the care and survival of a prisoner if they got themselves incarcerated. So therefore, the only way an imprisoned person would survive was if their family members or their friends or those who loved or cared about them would actually step in on their behalf and provide for their needs of food or clothing, whatever other basic necessities they might need. Now the church of Philippi, hearing upon Paul's imprisonment, it seems sent to Paul a financial gift to help care for him and his basic necessities for survival during this season of his imprisonment. And this money was sent to Paul via the man Epaphroditus. We've already seen him mentioned back in chapter 2. He was an emissary from the church of Philippi. He carried this financial gift to Paul there in the place of his imprisonment, spent time visiting with Paul, intended to stick around for a while to offer assist Paul with errands and various needs. And then ultimately, Paul the apostle sends Apaphroditus, this messenger, back to the church of Philippi with this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian believers to carry it back to them, In fact, look with me, just glance ahead, verses 14 to 18, and you see this expounds exactly what I'm summarizing for you. Paul says, verse 14, in chapter 4, Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in, notice, my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only." For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I speak in regards to the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God." So it's with that understanding and context of Paul's thoughts that he's sharing these remaining things in chapter 4 of our letter. Look with me at our text beginning in verse 1. In light of these matters, Paul says to them, verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, he says, but prior to that you had lacked opportunity so here we find paul expressing his appreciation take notice verse 10 his appreciation both to the lord as well as his gratefulness to the philippian believers for showing care for him through the monetary gift they sent to him while he found himself imprisoned and in paul's statements take note we can see that paul possessed an attitude of appreciation Paul possessed an attitude of gratefulness for God's care in his own personal life. He truly appreciated how God had orchestrated looking after him. And specifically, how God had taken care of his necessities by using the Philippians to care for Paul in this time of need. Paul recognized that it was God who in a sense used the Philippian believers as an instrument to supply for him and as a result of that, we see here that Paul was duly thankful. He was thankful to God as the initiator of his provision and his taking care of his needs and he was thankful to the Philippians in essence as the responders as God initiated the care in Paul's life. He was thankful first of all to the Lord. Notice verse 10, Paul says there, I rejoice in the Lord greatly regarding the care that has come into my life, the meeting of my needs and necessities. So Paul here is joyfully celebrating how God once again had demonstrated, as he had so many times before in Paul's life, that he's a good and a loving father. And that he always makes sure to take care of us and to meet our needs and sustain us in our lives as his dearly beloved children. He also expresses, secondarily, his appreciation to the Philippian believers for their being, in a sense, channels of God's generosity as instruments to flow God's care into his life. You notice verse 10, he also acknowledges with the word care two times how they had shown personal care for him, how they being moved by God's compassion for Paul, God's care for Paul as a child of God, how they simply were responsive to what God wanted to do in demonstrating God's kindness through their supply and practical help in Paul's life. And so we find now Paul here in the remainder of the letter basically just doing what's respectful by expressing his appreciation to the Lord and His gratitude to these particular believers. And in this, I think Paul teaches us an important foundational lesson regarding contentment, and that is being thankful in our lives. Being grateful in our lives for what God has done for us. I think this here is a foundational principle in the pathway in the progress towards ultimately experiencing contentment that is simply having an appreciative attitude, being grateful and thankful in our lives. I have found for myself that a large part of the process of developing contentment is learning how to appreciate what I already currently have. It's a big part of the process. What we simply refer to when we say, you know what, we need to be thankful. Man, you need to be grateful. And again, the Bible speaks to us much about this. Psalm 100 says that we are to be thankful to Him, that is to God. We read in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.20, that we should be giving thanks always for all things. And then Paul goes on to further specifically say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Hey, anybody here this morning ever go through that time in your life and go, I really wish I knew what God's will was for me. wonder what God's will is. Well, look, there's a couple places in the Bible where God specifically says directly, this is the will of God. Those are the ones I try and pay attention to (laughs) because I, like you, am forever trying to figure out what is God's will for my life and God, what do you want from me and what's your plan and purpose? Well, there's a couple places where God specifically says this is the will of God. One of them is, and it's not real complicated, in everything give thanks. So in everything in my life and in your life, In every day, if I can begin today saying, Lord, thank you for waking me up again this morning. Thank you, Lord, that I got breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord, that I, you know, I have what health I do have at this point in my life. Thank you, Lord, for there's a roof over my head, my refrigerator's running, there is something to eat in it for a next meal. Lord, thank you for the wife that I have, the children I have. Thank you that I have some sense of income, Lord. Thank you that I'm not threatened because of my faith in Jesus Christ and I can, you know, go over there to that school and worship the Lord without having to wonder if somebody's going to come barraging through the door with, you know, a semi-automatic weapon and put me to death just for worshiping jesus christ and reading the bible again we can you know in infinitum go on with the reasons that how in everything we can always find something to be thankful for and the bible says that's god's will it's something that anybody can do that we can all do we can all be obedient to the will of god through having a grateful, thankful spirit as things currently are, rather than, here's the key, rather than always being discontent for how things aren't or being discontent with an ungrateful spirit for, for what we yet don't have or things aren't at the stage of life that we wish that they were. And let me just say, very humbly and honestly, that's a challenge for all of us. I'm with you there. That is a challenge for all of us in our lives. It's a real struggle. We tend to wrestle because naturally we end up, it seems, fixating on what we still don't have. It's amazing how that just we tend to naturally always fixate on what's still missing in our life. Whether it's a relationship or a spouse or, 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 or you know some property or, or, or some possession or some position. Or what, and we always tend to fixate on what's missing. Or we find ourselves focusing on where we wish we were oh, I can't wait until I get there, when I can live there, I can be at that stage of life, or we're always wishing where we were. Oh, I wish I could be back there instead of having to be here at this season. Of my and that's typically our natural struggle, and we have to discipline ourselves mentally to cultivate a thankful spirit. We literally have to have the self-discipline to do the opposite, to be grateful for what we already do have and where life currently has us right now. You know, one man said this. He said, Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. And see, when we develop a thankful spirit and we seek to have a grateful attitude, it's amazing the result is it liberates us from the miserableness of a spirit of discontent it liberates us from the discontent spirit and it helps us begin to lay a strong foundation for building contentment into our lives thankfulness becomes the solid foundation upon which contentment is built upon let me say that again Thankfulness becomes the solid foundation upon which contentment can then be built upon in any one of our lives. So the question to ask this morning, do you desire to move towards experiencing more contentment in your life? Well, God would say gratefulness, appreciativeness for where you're at and what you already have. That grateful spirit is where contentment will begin. It's where it will start at in all of our lives. Well, after Paul expresses his thanks to them for taking opportunity to share and to care for him, notice verse 11, he wants to make sure now that they don't misinterpret what he's saying. That's why he goes on verse 11 to say in the beginning of it, not that I speak in regard to need here. I want you to notice what Paul's doing. He wants to make sure, he says, hey, I'm so thankful that the opportunity came around and you were able to show care for me again. But Paul says, look, I'm saying thanks, but I want to make sure, don't misread what I'm saying here. He says, I'm not thanking you Philippian believers in some manipulative way in order to prompt you to give me one of those caring gifts once again. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm speaking in regard to some need that I always have in my life. And I find this very wise because sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes people can say thanks in such a way to flatter the ego of the one who gave to them before and to persuade people to give once again. Listen, maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. Uh, maybe you heard this on the radio airwaves or television airwaves, or through letters of thanks that are sent out where you know people uh, you know, kind of give thanks in such a way where we are so thankful for your, for your gift and support, and it really helped us with just one of so many needs that we have in our organization. and it's your gift that keeps us you know, going forward, and, and we, just, we really appreciate how you met just one of so many needs. And, and, and you can sense the thankfulness is almost like, okay, are you asking for, for something else here? And Paul doesn't want the Philippian believers to get the impression that that's what he's doing. So that's why he's specifically saying here, look, that's not my underlying agenda here. I don't have some ulterior motive in the way I'm trying to say thank you to you. He says, and I want to clarify that. He says, I'm not speaking in regard to need. I'm just trying to say thank you because it's the right thing to do. And Paul cared about that. He didn't want them to think he was trying to goad them for something else. I respect that, that Paul's saying, look, I just sincerely want to say thank you. I'm not looking for anything else. I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate that because many a times, even the saying of thanks can be contorted in a way where people have another agenda. And it's kind of tragic, but yet Paul demonstrates that wasn't his heart sincerely. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need. Verse 11, For I have learned, notice, in whatever state I am, to be content. Paul says, I've learned rather than focusing on what it seems that I need, instead, I have learned to become, he says, satisfied with things as they currently are. Now, before you mentally tend to just write off Paul the Apostle's words here as if, well, those are some great sounding shallow platitudes, that's easy for him to say. He's not walking in my shoes. He's not living what I'm living or, you know, he should try my life on for size. Let us forget, Paul the Apostle is not writing this from a comfortable palace. He's writing this from prison. He's writing it from an unpleasant state and season in his life. He's not writing this with some silver shoes and golden spoon in his mouth and, you know, just comfortable royal robes lounging around a palace. That's not where he's writing this from. Paul's writing this from the sincerity of his own heart in his own personal experience and he's writing it in a season in his life where he probably did not want to be at. Something he did not sign up for nor would he have signed up for a time in his life when he probably would have done anything to get out of that season that was rather unpleasant. Potentially was quite miserable. And it's at this point in his life that he says here to us, I've learned, notice, in whatever state I am, to just be content. To be content with what he currently possessed, to be content with his circumstances. One translation renders these verses, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances may be. And again, can I remind you, to be content is defined as being satisfied or sufficiently gratified without the sense of needing something new or needing something different in order to feel happy or be fulfilled. In fact, when you look at the language there, of the term Paul uses in the original Greek, it literally indicates feeling that what I have or where I am is this word, Sufficient. Feeling what I have, it's a term that indicates a sense of self sufficiency. The idea is what I already have, it's sufficient. It's enough. Where I already am and where I'm at right now, it's sufficient. It's good enough. There's not that longing, that compelling dissatisfaction within. And can I ask you a question? truthfully does that really sound wonderful i don't know about you but i think man to to be satisfied to be sufficiently gratified without a sense of needing something new in my life without needing and being compelled to have things be different or something different and to be fulfilled and to just feel that what i have and where i'm at that's sufficient that sounds great so my question becomes this so why do we struggle then so much Well, let me give you a little insight on that. First of all, because our sinful nature naturally makes every single one of us greedy and covetous and selfish. It's our sinful bent that causes us to have the propensity towards those things. And therefore, contentment does not come automatically to any one of us in this room or on this planet. See, there is inside of each and every one of us the presence of both normal and natural desires, God-given desires and drives that he's put inside of us. And then there is also inside of us the presence of, if I could say, abnormal desires or inflated or exaggerated desires that we long to be fulfilled as well. And in both of those categories, natural, normal desires, as well as the abnormal and kind of exaggerated desires for things, both of those include things like the need and desire and want for material possessions – some of that's normal, some of that's abnormal and becomes out of control and out of balance. The need for uh, you know, physical gratification and things to be satisfied in our lives. There are desires and drives and some of them are normal and then other of them become exaggerated and inflated and, and, and they become wrong. There's the need in our lives for you know, a desire for acceptance or to have some level of position and fulfillment in life. And then there's that which becomes out of control where then we're always chasing some position or longing for some opportunity where it causes us to get out of balance. Now, you take those natural desires and then the abnormal exaggerated desires and you mix into that human greediness and human selfishness, and I tell you, you have the perfect combination for being discontent. And when you look up discontent, it shows the exact opposite. To be discontent is a sense of being dissatisfied. It says resentful over what is still lacking and desired It's the absence of contentment, and I find, when I look around, many times discontentment is kind of that thing where nothing's ever sufficient. Nothing's just ever enough. It just, you know, we had a song years ago, right? I can't get no. I can't get no, what? Satisfaction. I tried, and I tried and I tried and I can't get and and we understand that because that is the natural struggle of every one of us as a human being we would be lying to say that's not our struggle that is the wrestling that we all go through because of the sinful tendency in all of our lives that, that causes us to typically struggle and I'll tell you That is where the spirit of discontent and ungratefulness and being resentful over what I still don't have and, you know, life's not this way. And that is where most people live their whole lives. It's almost as if you could take Paul the Apostle's words and reverse them. Many people have figured out whatever state they are in to be discontent. And they live there and they wrestle there. And I'll tell you something that can control a person's life and our entire advertising industry is based on the awareness of this. I encourage you to just consider a large part of marketing and advertising is based off of the awareness of the human struggle of contentment. Just take it into consideration. Whatever the product they're offering, whatever the service that's being offered, the agenda from an advertising angle so often is to advertise that product or to promote that service in such a way to do what? To arouse our discontent with what we currently have or where our life now is and to promote what they're offering in such a way to convince you that if you buy this or if you get this, then you will be content and you'll finally be satisfied. I encourage you this week, look at advertisements. Watch how things happen on television. Look how media advertising and, and marketing takes place. And th- th- they're masterminds of this. They understand the human struggle. So whether it's the vehicle that you need or the, the gadget on QVC or the outfit or you know, the exercise program, they, they advertise in a way, you're miserable. Aren't you tired of being like that? Aren't you tired of driving that? Aren't you tired of looking like that? But if you had this, oh, yeah, and they, they understand, they arouse the discontent, and then they capitalize by saying, but if you had this, and when you get this, then you'll be content, then you'll be happy, and hook, line, and sinker, the advertising industry is very wise in the way they operate, they understand this reality in our lives. God does not want us to be dominated however by a spirit of discontent God loves us he has a wonderful plan for your life he's a good father he takes care of our needs and many times I find he even blesses me with the wants and things that aren't necessarily needs but he he just still wants to bless and do good things in our lives and he wants us to be liberated from discontent and acquire contentment so where does that come from well look at the text It tells us in the text, verse 11, that Paul says, I've learned to be content. I have those words underlined. I have learned. Contentment is something that must be learned. It's not natural. It's a process that we must navigate ourselves through It's something that we should be making progress in continually. We should be growing and learning how to be content. It's almost good to admit that I'm naturally inclined to be covetous. I'm naturally inclined to be selfish. I'm naturally inclined to be discontent and to grumble. And then the culture feeds that and it just inflames that in my life. And I'm going to go so far to say, as honest as it is, our country, especially the United States of America, indoctrinates people with a sense of entitlement like nowhere else on planet Earth. Our culture indoctrinates from childhood all the way up people in this generation to feel entitled to everything. To be entitled to so many, you are entitled to this, entitled, and people live with a sense of entitlement, and it just breathes all the more this. And as Christians, we're not immune to it. We're not immune to it. So God says, listen, I love you, I want you to be liberated from that, and I want you to be able to learn contentment, to discover, and the Bible says, notice, it is possible. It is possible. It's something to be learned that whatever state we're in, different seasons of life, that God desires us right where we're planted and right with what we possess now to learn how to actually become content. It's a process that we should always be progressing in. And I think it requires some things. Acquiring contentment requires things like, as I said, personal self-discipline, being able, now brace yourself, to actually say no to yourself once in a while in life. See sometimes contentment is not so much, well, what, what do I need in order to be content? Maybe it's, maybe it's actually, what can I go without and still be content? What, what don't I need? Many, many times people focus on contentment, well, if, if I get this, then I'll be content. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's, what can, what can I live without? What don't I have to have that everybody else seems to have to have? Or maybe I think that I need to have, or my spouse is compelling me I have to have, or you know, my, my peers are compo- What can I just go without that everybody else seems to have to go with? And just be content, and just tell myself no once in a while. You don't have to have what everyone else has to have. Who says that? Personal self-discipline. It's tough to say no to ourselves, but I think somebody very wise said something like, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's part of the Christian life, but it's something that leads to a sense of inner contentment and fulfillment. And I think contentment also comes, Paul shows us here, from experiencing various sides of life. In the next verse he talks about you know, being abased and abounding being hungry and being full. And sometimes God lets us go through different experiences. Why? Oh, Lord, why was I here and now I'm here? Because God says you've got to learn how to appreciate both sides of life. You've got to learn how to experience a little bit of everything, son, because it's there you'll appreciate things in a whole different way. And I think another thing is having our minds liberated through the truth of God's word rather than buying into the delusion of our world system that indoctrinates us with the ways that mislead us. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. In Luke chapter 3, you see a spiritual revival, in essence, happening there under the days of John the Baptist. And in the midst of that spiritual revival there in Luke 3, People were repenting of error, and what you find interesting is one of the marks of that time of spiritual revival and repentance, one of the marks of it was contentment. Listen to the words of Luke 3. It says, "'So the people asked, saying, "'What shall we do?' "'He answered and said to them, "'He who has two tunics, let him give to one who has none. "'He who has food, let him do likewise.'" The tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers said, And what shall we do? And he said, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Oh, no. The Bible didn't say that, did it? The Bible did. Listen as well to 1 Timothy 6, what Paul says. This is 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. These are great verses. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. I want you to take notice. The Bible says that a person is starting to make really great progress in life, when they can learn to be content with basic necessities and fulfillment in their relationship with God. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Godliness with contentment. The Bible says, hey, you're really making great gain now. If you can love God and find your fulfillment and satisfaction in God and say, hey, I got got a set of clothes on my back and, and I got something to eat and I got God. And I'm content, the Bible says, all right, you're really starting to make gain in this culture. You're really starting to make gain in the world if you can develop contentment in that way. He goes on in chapter six to say this. Listen to what he says in connection to that. Next verses. but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Notice, in connection to that, discontent, the Bible says, is an influence that has led many people throughout generations to shipwreck their lives. It has even led many Christians To shipwreck their faith because it's compelled them to voyage into things that they should never get themselves into. Spending in ways that they should never spend. Living way beyond their means. Acquiring things and accruing debt. It's the thing that has driven our government to the place where it's at. It's discontent, it's greediness. Discontent can shipwreck lives. It can cause people to walk away from their commitment to Christ and, and their effectiveness. I've seen people who at one season they loved the Lord and they were serving in ministry and they were around the church all the time and then it's amazing how some opportunity or, or the, you know, some you know, occasion for advancement or wealth in their life and they're falling in love with that all of a sudden then they can afford to get the boat and guess what? Now they get the boat and so now every weekend they're on the boat instead of worshiping the Lord and see this can happen in our lives discontent can cause us to shift into places where we should not go in our spending chasing maybe some career goal maybe discontent so we launch into a relationship and then you find yourself shipwrecked because you got discontent and you wouldn't wait for who God intended you to be with and as a result of that you end up engaging a relationship with someone that takes you right away from Jesus Christ and shipwrecks your life be careful The Bible says this is a dangerous influence. This morning, God says we're to be learning. Learning. We're in school here. And this is a better education, I tell you, than any institution can give to you. The institution of God's Holy Spirit helping you learn contentment, cultivate contentment in your life as you seek to live. So Paul says, I've learned, verse 11, in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, I think verse 12 is basically a commentary on what it means to be content. It's almost as if Paul says, I've learned to be content, and then he amplifies what that means in his own verbal picture there in verse 12. And notice verse 12 shows contentment enabled Paul to accept any status that God had him dwelling in at the time. That's what he says here in verse 12. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to be abounding, he says. He understood both spectrums, how to handle both extremes. To be abased is a term that means to be humbled. When you look at the term, it means to be lowered, to be put down or to be humiliated. And Paul says, there were times in my life where through circumstances and situations, I found myself kind of humbled. And it seems like I got knocked a few pegs lower than I ever was before in my life. And Paul says, but you know what? There were things to be learned there. And I learned that I could be content even in the times when I felt utterly humiliated, when I felt lowered, in a sense, in my life. He says, I've also learned the experience, he says, of abounding. And that word means the opposite. It means to be lifted, to overflow, and to prosper. And at times, Paul's life, it seems, experienced times of prosperity when he had more than enough. He had excess and overflow. He had spent time in both states. He would experienced both circumstances. And he learned things from being in both stations in life. He had come to appreciate things. And I think, by way of application, sometimes God in his wisdom and oversight will allow our lives in different seasons to experience a little bit of both. Sometimes God lets us experience times of abasing. Sometimes times of abounding. Sometimes we're gaining. Sometimes we're losing. It's a part of the process of life. And to be abased isn't easy. I know. It's not easy. It's not easy when maybe we're, we're struggling financially and we're trying to make ends meet. Right? And you're, you're looking at the bills and what's coming in and what's got to go out and you're trying to figure out how to strategically rob Peter to pay Paul and still keep Peter happy and, and, and you're going through that process where you're trying to coordinate hey, what do you need to do to you know, put out that fire and oh, here comes another one and, and you're just trying to make ends meet. That's tough. And it's tough to be content there. And you're hustling down extra work and you're praying that God will you know, stretch the milk carton a few days longer and, and you're literally wondering how are we going to pay for the huggies and everything else? That's tough. It's hard to be content when you're struggling to make ends meet. It's difficult. But there are lessons to be learned there. And God says you can become content there. You can be content if that's the station of life that God has us in. It's hard to lose ground and go backwards in life or maybe go back to a lower place than we we were at our current and maybe sometimes things happen and we find ourselves now we're back in some lower hey, what am I doing back here <laughs> I was up here what am I doing back here but God says you can be content in that you can learn something there if you're open and God wants us in those places to learn how now on the other side of that there are challenges to abounding as well Paul says I know how to abound and prosperity can be a very difficult thing to manage too Prosperity can be something success creates its own set of dangers and difficulties where then you got to resist pride and you have to resist thinking something more of yourself than you should or prosperity can then be the thing that propels a person to get greedy and to just really chase down and get greedy to just keep getting more and more and more I think they asked Rockefeller I remember serves me right one time before how much is enough he said just a little more yeah, prosperity can be tough to manage I think prosperity is hard to manage because when a person's prospering and doing well, there's also, too, a struggle when a person has excess with not feeling condemned and guilty about it. Because you have excess and you're abounding or maybe you're succeeding and acquiring wealth and there's other people around you who are really abasing and a person can struggle feeling almost guilty and condemned gosh I have so much extra and this person doesn't even have enough and to be able listen to be content even when you're abounding and to accept God there's a purpose in this you've allowed me to abound and not to have to feel condemned over wealth the Bible says there's, there's nothing wrong inherently evil with being wealthy it's the love of money that can be wrong but not money God may allow a person to abound for a set purpose. And there are lessons in both of those. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I've learned how to be content in either situation. It's only when we don't know how to manage either place in life, then it becomes wrong. And that's why Paul is saying here that we have to learn how to be content. In fact, he says in verse 12 here, I've learned both to be full and be hungry, to abound and suffer need. And that word learn, Paul uses there, is a different word than verse 11. That word literally means to unveil and discover a secret. So in essence, Paul's saying, I've discovered this secret that we're all looking for of how to actually be content when I'm really struggling and how to actually be content and to accept when I'm prospering and doing really well and I don't feel guilty about it. And I don't have to go out of control when I'm doing really well. I can just be thankful for the season of prosperity in my life. To abound is to have excess. To be hungry and suffer need is lack. And this is a verbal picture showing us, look, I can know how to live when things are difficult and I know how to live when things are going really well. And I can keep balance and moderation. Again, contentment enables a person to accept their status in life and be satisfied everywhere, Paul says, and in all things. So everywhere that Paul was, Paul says, wherever I found myself, geographically or circumstantially, everywhere, I could learn how to be content everywhere. And in all things, Paul says, that is whatever situation of life, whatever he was going through, he said, in all things, whatever circumstances, whatever I was thrust into, whatever I had to face, whatever the, I could learn to be content there. I was able to learn how to do it. And I think that's what God intends for us, to learn to be content and satisfied everywhere and in all things. And I know our humanity says, well, you know what, that's easier said than done. That sounds really good. I just don't see how anyone could really do that. I'm just not strong enough to do that. Well, listen, neither was the Apostle Paul. Because look at our last verse. Paul says, I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says the key to verse 11 and 12 is verse 13. Paul found the strength to do what he did through the help and assistance of the Lord being involved in his life. He discovered that with the Lord's involvement in his life, such things were possible to him. He experienced that apart from the Lord, such things were not only difficult, they were probably impossible. And I would agree that they are. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And certainly, contentment's a part of that. Without Jesus in our lives, We can't handle being abased and humiliated and struggling and enduring difficulty. We can on our own. We're too weak. Without Jesus in our lives, we can't properly handle prosperity and abounding and success or wealth or having overflow. We'll get out of tune. But Paul says confidently, I have learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, back to context. Remember, this verse, very popular Christian verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. Paul's not saying this in a sense to kind of demonstrate or refer to the fact that he was some superhero Christian you know, that could leap tall buildings and just do whatever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever it is, I can take anything on. Paul is saying that statement in relation to to the context of the fact of, look, he's saying, whatever place God puts me in in life, whatever God lets my lot be, whatever the season is, whatever the thing that comes into my path, whatever I have to go through, whether it's on the mountain peaks or in the valleys, in that place I have learned that with the Lord's help I can navigate through it Because he will strengthen me to be able to walk through that process with his assistance. And you know, this morning, that promise is universal. And I would say, what are you going through? What are you going through? What is it you're facing? Uh, You know, what is it that you find yourself saying, Oh, now this is a part of my life and I don't know how I can... Or I don't know how I could possibly become content in this or not be dissatisfied or disgruntled in these circumstances listen it is possible it'd be blasphemous if the word of God didn't say that but God's word says it is Jesus said to Paul the apostle when he was facing something painful and that he didn't like in his life very much and he pleaded with the Lord take it away and Jesus said Paul my grace is sufficient for you and I don't think Jesus has changed I know he hasn't changed and I know it's not easy and I'm not trying to be insensitive to the struggles and things that we go through but Jesus is saying my grace is enough it is enough I can strengthen you if you let me help you I can strengthen you you don't have to live in the perpetual state of discontent you can become content I I would encourage you take verse 13 and take a long walk with it this afternoon or throughout this week and you can meditate and chew upon and absorb something almost from every single word there I everybody else seems they can do everything Everybody else, I don't know, everybody else is doing it. No, I, I can do all things through Christ's strength. I, I, just can't. Man, everybody else can. I just can't. No, I can do. I can do. Well, I can do most things, but just this thing. I can do all things. I just I, through Christ. Do you have Jesus Christ? He can strengthen you. He can strengthen you. Hey, this morning, I would encourage you, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you'll never be content until you let him become a part of your life. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you do know Jesus Christ, can I give you an encouragement from the Lord? A big part of contentment in our lives hinges upon our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord is the hinge upon which contentment operates in our lives as Christians.